I'm not a loser. They don't not not like me at all. I don't not leave the house. Cause I don't not prefer to make podcasts. I I just can't believe your insistence on not only singing, but singing things that are so out of your range. I rehearse this so much, but once you get on that stage, you have a different voice than the one you have off the stage. Not true. You know, and, it, and it's like, you... like <laughs> what this, I just that shut song down my... In particular, that song in particular, like, you could have picked another part of that, of that song that was just, like, lower within your natural like register but no you decided to go for like the finale of that song like the, cre- fucking... the crescendo that is like all the way up here that you're like had to screech into you're really starting maybe our most hyped excited episode <laughs> us personally no one else just us right. like with this i yeah you leave me no choice carter like <laughs> i, I I'm, I'm just baffled we... now we can't fight. We can't fight on. We can't fight in front of the SpongeBob music. Okay, not in right. front of the kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. I'm Carter, and I'm Sydney. And as I just said, this, like, in terms of episodes, me and Sydney are personally excited about. In terms of ones that are like our most anticipated, I think this, if it's not number one with a bullet, is definitely number two, three, or four. You know. I mean, do you mean within Summer of Sponge or just like in everything we've in ever general, talked about? I would I, argue. I would, I would agree that overall, I mean, like, this might be one of the most important to us personally that we yeah. ever talked about on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, this was the whole excuse to do the Summer of Sponge. Like, Pretty literally, much, we would yeah. just have this like big bullet point on our list of possible episode topics for like right. whatever month. And we would just keep being like, ah, not here, not here, not here. And then we're like, screw it. Whole month, this is the event episode. Yeah, as we were planning this month out, like, you know, we kind of go back and forth about like, well, what about this idea? What about this idea? Like, this was just like on the calendar. Like, no, like, this is the first thing on the list. Like, duh. Obviously, we're doing this. Like, that's the reason for this. (laughs) I mean, we are closing in on doing this for a year this was probably right. one of our original ideas, like our OC, like, mm-hmm. like, like if we did it our first month of existence, it wouldn't have surprised me. Right, exactly. Um, I'm I'm glad that we've had time to meditate on it and and pad it out with this themed month. I think it deserves. Um, I think SpongeBob deserves um, the way that we are choosing to honor it with an entire themed month. So. Um, did we talk, did we mention what we're doing today? <laughs> I think I mentioned it in our little, um, like, uh, like our little quarrel uh-huh. there. But, ladies and gentlemen, for today's episode of The Summer of Sponge, we are talking about SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. Um, premiered on Broadway in 2017 after a 2016 Chicago run. Um, music by various, lyrics by various, we will get to that. Booked yes. by Carl Jarrow and directed by the incredible Tina Landau. Hmm. 
Yes. Um, this is interesting because this is one you've seen live. At least you've seen pieces of mm-hmm. it. You've gotten to it. I haven't yet. I, my only introduction to this is the live taping of it that aired on Nickelodeon in 2019, I believe. And now it is on Paramount+. Plus. Shout out to Paramount Plus for being the number one <laughs> streaming service in existence right now um, for, for having all of these. Everything that we're talking about today can be found on Paramount Plus. So if you're not sold yet. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I guess we can front load our history with um, history with this show. So I was still living in New York when the f- show first came to Broadway um, you know, I, I, like, that was still in my phase where I'm like, Spongebob, ugh. Um, really? What is, the, what is the, yeah, like, there was a period where I was just kind of like, it's over, it's Jover, it's Batover. I always it's... take for granted, like, how recent your coming back around is. Like, I always, like, to like, everything. To everything, yeah. So, to hear, like, as recently as 2016, you felt that way is, like, oh, yeah. so interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, like, because I heard about it when it was in Chicago, and then it came in 2018, and that's right when I was literally taking animation classes and really getting back into the craft. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, folks, if there's one thing I love more than animation, it's musicals. Like, I love stage oh, yeah. shows. That is kind of one of my passions. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably doing a cast pod show where I just talk exclusively about Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you know, I was going through my photos. I ended up seeing the show twice on Broadway. Um mm. One in March of 2018, so, like, like I would say, like, kind of close to, like, the middle of its run, mm-hmm. and then I came back when it was announced that the show would be leaving in uh, December of 2017, uh, mm. and I saw it one last time. So, that, including those two times and the live broadcasted version, I've seen it too many times. Like... Mm. On top of um, other... Is there such thing as too many? No. Honestly, that is one of my big takeaways, rewatching it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, man, so many of these moments are just achingly rewatchable, where you're like, right. I'll just keep this one song on loop over and over exactly. again. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a... Well, we can talk legacy about it later, but yeah, right. it, it was... It was an incredible... Like... You know, obviously, by the time I'd seen it, the hype was, like, through the roof. People were like, no, 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 it's good. This is good. It's, like, good, good. Right. Yeah, it it ended up, in its year, um, it got nominated for 12 Tony nominations, which gave it, tied it for the most with Mean Girls at the 72nd Tony Awards in 2018. We'll talk about that, because I have some venoms about about that. Mean Girls, yeah. Well, Mean Girls and that year on Broadway in general. Oh, I see. Yeah, like, at that point, people knew it's like, no, no, this thing isn't a cash grab. This is, like, an actual thing. And I just remember, when you sit down, and we'll talk about it when we're going through, like, the story, there are just one or two moments at the very beginning where it feels, you can just feel the electricity in the room picking up. Like, mm-hmm. that sort of, like, rare... I've described it with a couple things. Like, seeing Giannis Antetokounmpo play when he just puts his head down and starts moving. Or, mm-hmm. like, seeing... Um, James Monroe Englehart on uh, Do Friend Like Me, where you just feel the audience just get revved, like there's yeah. electricity shooting through the crowd. And that happened so early in that show, where you're suddenly looking around and you're all like, are we... Are, are we, we all witnessing this? This is happening, right? Yeah, this is ha- it's like, happening this is to real, us. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, and, we've yeah, got to get into Internet Minute. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. We're, we're starting you know the podcast too soon. We're we're going too deep into this. Yeah, like, obviously we're excited. We, yeah, we have so much to talk about this show. I am so nervous and excited to finally talk about this. Right. But f- before the curtains rise on the show, it is time <laughs> for another Internet Minute. Carter, tell us what your Internet Minute is for today. All right. I have two um, pretty quick things for today. The first is a combination of talking Bob Iger and talking the state of the industry again. Um, as many of you yeah. know, we are the SAG-AFTRA strike has begun. Contract talks have ended. <laughs> um, SAG will be joining the picket line along with the WGA, really underlining that the Directors Guild are a bunch of charlatans pardon my language well can you do me a favor like is 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 the root of the sag strike in the same ballpark as the strike it is okay honestly 90 percent of it is the exact same stuff okay honestly so much of this just centers around like it's basically just an extension of what happened the last time they struck back in like the 2000s where it's like we need better residuals for online and television like syndication and this is, you have made a new empire around streaming, and we are getting nothing from that. On top of anxieties about AI, on top of anxieties about, like, basically everything that SAG, w- or the WGA wanted is similar to what SAG wanted. The, you know, the finer points are obviously different, but they right. are basically coming from the same place. And the Krusty Krab is unfair. I mean, Mr. It Krabs is, is in there. <laughs> And fortunately, because, like, the Teamsters, everyone's coming out in support of this. We really are about to rip the floorboards out of this thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and to the point, and it's interesting because, like, the studios had a last-ditch effort where they leaked some source to Deadline, where they're like, we're prepared to starve them out. And then realizing how bad that sounded, and how bad it sounded that they're trying to basically get the government to play strike busters like they did with the rail lines. Mm-hmm. Like... They came out and were like, that anonymous person didn't speak for all of us. Um, Mm. And basically, all of this is coming around. Bob Iger just had his contract extended to 2026, which for me suggests that Disney, like, it's not just, hey, Chepik made some mistakes, let's write the ship. It's like, we are fundamentally reimagining what we are doing going forward. Um, And it also comes with um, an article from Variety Disney CEO Bob Iger says writers and actors are not being quote-unquote realistic with strikes. It's disturbing to me. And people people have dunked on this quote, and it's deserving to dunk on, because, you know, like, I don't know. I guess, like, it's tough because we, we were excited when Bob Iger came in because it felt like, okay, a presence who really helped Disney become what it is today is coming back to sort of, like, turn the boat around, to sort of, like, get the brand reshined. Unfortunately, that timing with the writer strike and reminding ourselves, right, he is a CEO and you don't get to be a CEO in this industry unless you're willing to step on some people. Right. The thing is, for that specific quote, I believe he believes that because Mm. so much of why the studios are so stubborn about this, they're so obstinate about not giving an inch, is because, like... Streaming has basically led them... It's what we've been talking about. Streaming has led them down a garden path of ruin. Like, Mm. here's the thing. If they gave in to the WGA's demands and made, like, streaming numbers in terms of views and stuff completely transparent, completely honest and open, 
it would turn out that they've basically been lying through their teeth this entire time about how many right. views all their stuff are getting. Like, the theoretical revenue from streaming will be revealed to be complete pennies on the dollar, and their stock prices will plummet. Like, mm. like this is, it's literally exactly what happened with Facebook destroying print media, because Facebook mm. was like, pivot to video, look at these numbers we have, look at these numbers we have. It's not about articles anymore, it's not about writers, it's about video content. So mm. every, like, journalistic outlet in the country just, like, threw their writers into the volcano and pivoted to video, only to find out years later, oh, Facebook made those numbers completely up. It was mm. completely based on pixie dust. And everyone was like, oh my god, entire industry died because Facebook just fucking lied. Right. Um, for, like, basically, like, committed fraud to the shareholders. Right. And that is kind of what's happening here. Netflix, Amazon, Apple, like, the streamers came in like gave a bunch of fake numbers and the others and you know the more traditional studios were like "Ooh, we want that we want high stock prices and mm. also we want loopholes around paying residuals like this entire thing and i guess the question is how much of this was the studios just wanting loopholes to get around paying like residuals and you know fair compensation and how much of it was they really bought into this pixie dust never-ending stock line going up so, like, yeah, Bob, it's unrealistic. But this economic <laughs> model is cartoonishly unrealistic. You built a sandcastle right. on sand and it's high tide, baby, and you're just kind of have to take your lumps. Wow. Like, there's no off-ramp to this where the system gets to stay the same. It's the same, like, you know, it's what we talked about with COVID where it's like, well, a new paradigm has to be made. We can't just keep going the way we were. Right. And yet so many people are like, well, back to normal, back, back to how to we were doing we were. things. Nothing has happened like, to us. You can't just go back behind the curtain, Oz. We know you're a schlubby little guy. Like, yes. So it's frustrating that two things can be true, that he is telling the truth, but that mm. truth is an unsustainable Sucks. economic model that should have crashed yeah. years ago. You have to turn your, cap your terminal capitalist brain off for 10 seconds and just accept, like, all right, we're going to have to lose money for a while to rebuild this. Right, right. Um, and honestly, if I were to give him two quick pieces of advice, it's like, one, one of my favorite stories of you was you realize you buy, you know, you becoming CEO, walking around the Disney parks and realizing that Pixar was dominating the space now, and then going to Steve Jobs and just being like, no ego, name your price. Like, I get this. Mm -hmm. Instantly overnight, if you're the first one to come to the table, you instantly change Disney's perception overnight. You become the hero who saved filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Like, Disney gets rebranded as the studio for artists. All of the, like, Disney is the most evil company in the world people will, like, Tom and Jerry themselves in confusion <laughs> yeah. and distress. It would be so easy. And if there's one, what's the point of being the biggest entertainment company in the world if you don't have the luxury to do that? Just to add a little jab to, like, Paramount, Universal, and Warner Brothers. Mm. And also... I would, in, to get around this realistic question, you need to start throwing Netflix and Apple and Amazon under that fucking bus. Mm -hmm. You need to be like, they frauded us, they lied to us, they gave us bad information, um, we are off-ramping Disney+, Plus. it's going to be more of like a curation place as opposed to like a place for new content. Right. Like, you just have to accept like, I know the Disney studio probably brought you in to keep 2019 going, but 2019's over, and you need to figure out a way to make 2023 functional. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just a quick other thing for me. Uh, I finally did get to see Elemental. Uh, I won't say too much here. Again, it's another one I want to do, like, a full written piece about, but I will just say 
it is a utterly charming, beautiful little film. I think the most extreme thing I've said about it is it is kind of, it is Zootopia if it wasn't written by neoliberals. Because Zootopia very much has that energy of like, we elected Obama and racism is over. And every now and then a no good Nick will come in and like make problems. But right. as long as we stick together, we can overcome them. Whereas Elemental is like, the bones of Western civilization is built on the exploitation of the underclasses. Mm. Um, like, for example, like the plot is centered around Firetown and a growing amount of like water pipe leaks, which are obviously lethal to Watertown. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, because this commute, like, as someone who loves reading about New York infrastructure and how like so much of New York history is built around like pushing the immigrants around to the least popular place and that like kind of defining the different areas and cultures of New York. Like this movie really struck a chord with me because it is so much about that of like, yeah, these problems wouldn't be happening if you treated the fire, pe you know, if the fire people who are like the quote unquote latest immigrants in this yeah. world with like the bare minimum of respect and didn't just shove them in a corner. Right. Um, yeah. And on top of that, it is an actually pretty charming, lovable love story. Um, if I was to levy one nitpick at it, and also it's grossly underrated in terms of how great a cartoon it is. Like you oh. can tell the Pixar animators are just giddy that they get to design a whole lot of characters who fundamentally, who just in their nature don't have bones and thus can shrink and squash and stretch. One of my favorite little moments is Ember, the main character, is trying to keep Wade from filing like a city ordinance and she pours some gasoline on the ground, steps on it, and becomes a giant wall of fire. And then oh. he realize, he just walks over to a wa like a drainage vent, slips through it, and then slips back up. There's a chase sequence where they're just running through cracks and walls, and it's incredible. Wow. Like, it is so cool seeing Disney, like, Disney and Pixar's, like, money just being thrown around to do Looney Tunes shit. And right. just for that alone, it's incredibly inventive, delightfully charming, and great. Um, <sighs> yeah. And I'll, I'll get... You know, I'll talk more about it. Um, I, I like the idea of swapping out some notes from the host with, like, more written reviews, but, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully I'll get that up pretty soon. All right, Sydney, what's your internet minute? Okay. Um, I feel like we're getting really, um, like, what's the word? Salty? Political? Spicy today? Because mine is kind of like... It's the Spongebob it's, musical. That's Sydney. what happens to us. I look deranged in my camera, and that's the only energy <laughs> I'm allowed to bring here. But, like, my my internet minute is sort of of the same vein of, of what you had to bring today. Full. So, this is a quote tweet um, of an original tweet from an article from Variety. So, their original tweet, it's a picture of Harrison Ford, and it says... Uh, Disney desperately needs to create something new, says critic Josh Spiegel. Uh, it does a good job at cannibalizing itself. They remake their movies and echo what they've done in the past. At a certain point, there won't be a whole lot for them to echo. So that's the original article, right? So <laughs> the thing that interested me was this quote tweet by um, a user named Ilya Glaskov. Mm. And they say, over the past three years, Disney has... Uh, theatrically released seven original films, Elemental, Strange World, Turning Red, Encanto, Luca, Raya and the Last Dragon, Soul. Guess how many of these made money? Exactly none. People claim they want something new, in quotes, but they never show up. Thank and you. so, <laughs> you know, I, with the new Willy Wonka thing, like, breaching its ugly head, I, I've I'm been- I'm so torn on that. 
having this I've been finding myself in this same discord it's weird that this is the thing like it seems like this Willy Wonka thing seems to be the thing like that is inter- that is get like uh getting people hip to that trend like of being like hey aren't we re- repeating too many of the hits by now like people that sort of were never on that train before ever since that trailer came out are like hmm are we doing this too much <laughs> and yeah you know which is a shame because it's directed by the guy who made Paddington and Paddington 2 so like uh-huh. I'm like fuck this is gonna be super charming isn't it but I'm also Probably. gonna be annoyed watching it yeah I was an- I was kind of annoyed by this trailer but um but anyway yeah, I've been finding myself in the same in the same discord discourse excuse me with like in in this you know do we want new stuff do we want to play the hits and you know what where does that come from like what's missing where is the gap in here where people are still feeling that they're are, are people really craving new because this this person has a excellent point that people aren't aren't showing up for the new and again, perhaps that is the result of of the those new things feeling totally optional now that they are all like such so available on streaming. I mean, I right. recently like my a couple of my girlfriends and I are talking about going to see Barbie movie and one of like we have this big group chat and one of them was like, I'm not really into paying for movies. And yeah. that really struck me like because <laughs> because she had a point. Like, well, not that she didn't, like, have a point, like, I didn't agree with that, but I was like, oh, like, she verbalized something that I hadn't thought about before that I feel like is somewhere at the root of the problem here. Is it, is it that people feel like they want something new? Probably no, I'm gonna say they, they don't really want something new because obviously they're getting new and they're not taking advantage of that new. Or are we having fatigue, are we having nostalgia fatigue? I think it's a lot of different things. For one, like, this whole discourse has been going on so long. I'm like, again, your politics bore me and you have the demeanor of a pouty child. Mm -hmm. And, like, again, because I've gone so nuclear about, like, this current strike, any conversation about what's wrong with Hollywood that doesn't start with, we let the streaming vipers into the hen house and now all the hens are dead. Like, I don't want to hear it. Um, But, like, that's... The comment, you don't like paying for movies. I mean, that gets to the fundamental problem here. You know right. the most insane stat that I got from Elemental? It is now outgrossed Encanto. And think about how, like, popular and, like, mainstream Encanto is. But you forget, like, it did not do that well. Yeah. Like, on its initial release. And then just became a hit on Disney+. And it's like, yeah, that's the fundamental problem we're facing right now. Mm-hmm. Where it's like... Yeah, when you when you train people that they can see something in a month and a half, and it's not something that's like an event or like right, you have to avoid the spoilers. It's just not. Yeah, it's just not sustainable. And yeah, like again, we keep saying the same things over and over and over again, but no one changes their behavior. Like you get the industry you fucking deserve. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, like we kind of deserve what we have right now because it's you're like right, yeah. And, like, again, I hate homering and demanding people see certain films unless I'm, like, this is just a masterpiece. Like, this is art. Like, again, I really love Strange World and I wish more people saw it, but I wasn't going to be, like, you're an evil person for not seeing this. Right, right. Like, 
but at the same time, it's like, it's so frustrating that it's like, we quietly are doing a lot of cool original stuff, and, you know, you're not seeing it. Like, build the industry you want. Sacrifice the $14 to make a statement. Like, yeah. You know, God knows the people who are bribing the Supreme Court pay a lot more money to get their vision mm. of the world created. You can spare $14. You know, a part of me has to, like, a part of me wants to believe that the pendulum has to swing back in the other direction. I mean, historically, like, the way the world looks has always been a direct response to its, its like, immediate previous version of itself i mean like if like and i'm just kind of talking about like a on a broad social scale thinking about like the 1950s culture in america of like these like very performative gender roles being the direct result of like a post-war desire to um to like redefine normalcy after a time where women had to be doing all of the work and men were all <laughs> away that culturally everything moved to do the extreme opposite and like like a part of me wants like to believe that the the extreme like people who are complaining about this like will start doing the extreme opposite or am i just like living in a fantasy i mean again it's also like i feel like so much of the discourse around like original content is complete smoke and mirrors like theater and film have been adaptive mediums for their entire existence like, oh, yeah. so many of the most famous films of all time are adaptations. The Godfather's right. an adaptation. Gone with the Wind's an adaptation. Hell, Hitchcock's only Oscar-winning film, like, the only film he got Oscars for was fucking Rebecca, a book. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, like this isn't new. It's just yeah. in the age of media, and you just have, like, certain things shoved down your throats a lot, it feels new. Like, yeah. it feels... Fucking Jaws is based off a book. Like... Everything, like, so much of what we consider classic cinema is adaptation, but we just don't want to admit it. Is this the result of, like, um, us as millennials, like, being in the, what I would call, like, the consumer class now? Like, coming of an age where we're just, like, living long enough to see the patterns of repetition? I mean, probably. But, like... Because I'm like, I would love to just ask someone, like, were you having these discussions when uh, Return of the Jedi was coming back in, like, the 80s? Like, were no. these the things that kept you up at night? We didn't have this conversation for A Star is Born. And that's, like, the third version of I think of the it. fourth, actually. That would yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, and it's, and actually, this is a very convenient discussion for Spongebob the Musical, because when we talk about, like, it's, when we talk about it's, like, legacy... There's actually a very similar discussion where it's like, mm. no, you only care about this when you decide it's something to care about. Yeah. Like, when it's something, like, branded and obvious. But you get tricked into seeing adaptations of things all the time and you just don't yes. notice it. <laughs> Hell, like, and it's also, like, again, it's perception. Because it's like, Greta Gerwig doing Little Women feels different because it's like, yeah, it's another Little Women adaptation, but it's this auteur doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like Art. she's doing a Barbie movie, and no one's like, "Ugh, they're making a Barbie movie now." It it's fucking Jover, man. I mean, you um, want to talk about adaptations? Like Barbie right. movies are a thing, are a thing already. Yeah, they've been. Barbie's had I so many movies. Think, <laughs> if we didn't, if we hadn't done Summer of Sponge, one of my ideas was going to be we just pick three of those and watch the Barbie them cinematic and talk universe. About it. Yeah. Yeah, and then we find could. like 
Well, I was like, there's nothing we could do for Oppenheimer, Yo, so it's less fun. The Barbie life in the Dreamhouse series is unhinged. Like, yeah. <laughs> truly crazy. Yeah, I, I, you see the clips from those and you're like, oh yeah, that's why oh. they let her, they said yes to her on everything and didn't right. push back on a, this. <laughs> I, wow, we are, we are, Oof. oh my god, you can off tell we're like, yeah, we're fucking off the walls right now, guys. I right. hope like this energy is carrying through the microphones because, um, yeah. like, we're ready to go. Do you have any other thoughts about this discussion or you know what? is it time I'm... to... I'm ready to dive to dive in. All wink, right. wink. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the house lights are going down. The ushers mm-hmm. are quickly moving to their little corners. Right. Let's start the show. Uh... Yeah. So we, as usual, we usually like to start with like the design of something, the structure, sort of the mechanics of something. Right. Um. And I think the opening number is kind of perfect for that because like we talk about, we talk about a lot, like the rules, like an animated movie has to teach you the like rules of how it's going to move, how it's going to speak, how it's going to sing. Musicals are the apex example of that because you have to like Mm. teach the audience like, yes, people are going to be singing. This is the context in which they're going to be singing. This is how Mm -hmm. everything moves. This is how we like create spaces on a tiny space this is how Um, we're we're telling the story like yeah either you're watching the story or we're talking to you directly like hamilton or right right like yeah yeah like that's a good example like hamilton has so little in terms of like props and like oh yeah you know structure it's like those first couple songs have to like teach you like okay at right. most, we're going to have a couple These tables. These people are talking about their own past, and, like, yeah. they're telling you the story of what happened. Yeah, they are, ex- they're like, kind of narrating their lives, and yeah. more importantly, you need to listen carefully, because yeah. <laughs> we are going to be moving through time and space very loosely here, right. so you kind of have to listen to understand where we are at any given time. Right. And at least they um, in Hamilton, not to go off on a Hamilton tangent, but, like, they have the, you know... They even introduced this, like, repetitive motif that's, like, start yes. paying attention. How does a bastard, orphan, immigrant... Like, and every time you hear yes. that motif come back, you're like, oh, I'm about to learn something new. Yes, yes. That's actually... Yeah, and that's, like, it, another example. Teaching you the rhythms and, like, the themes through music. And I, I do love I do love comparing it to Hamilton, because Hamilton really is another one of our, like, in case of emergency, break glass break episodes. <laughs> Where we're like, fuck, we have nothing. <laughs> nothing else. Pull out the Hamilton, yeah. Yeah, it's like, Disney gave us this for a reason. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, like, especially, like, I think Spongebob is one of the best examples of that. Because, again, like, everyone clowned on the idea of, like, oh, a Spongebob musical. What, is it going to be foam suits? Is it going to look like a right. Nickelodeon Studios-like endeavor? <laughs> and Is there going to be slime? You, yeah, no. Yeah, is there going to be slime? Weirdly, no slime. A right. lot of other, like, gross-out stuff, but no slime. But no slime, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you get into the Palace Theater, which I think is still under renovation since then, because SpongeBob oh. closed, they immediately closed the theater for renovations, and then COVID happens, and then Whoa. they have to restart. I'm not even sure what show is supposed to come in next, but and we'll talk about that later. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, someone described that theater perfectly as... It's like you're at the very top of a Ferris wheel that's letting people off. You're lost and afraid, and you're so high up. It right. is very vertical, um, especially right. for, like, the nosebleed seats that you can get for cheap. 
But anyway, so the opening number starts. We have the stage. You know, the curtain is like pineapple-y. Mm. And then we have the narrator come in. You know, the Hawaiian the music starts playing. Jacques yes. Cousteau, yeah. The narrator starts explaining, like, ah, another uh, sea. sea, yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, he starts describing different things under the water. So he's like, oh, look at that collection of kelp. And someone runs on stage and points an arrow at, mm-hmm. um, you know, a bunch of pool noodles that have been cut up and, like, painted blue and green. Right. And there's, like, a little ding just to underline it. And this is when you realize, like, oh, there's sound effects. So that's how they're doing, like, the cartoony yeah. parts. Okay. Right. And then he says, oh, there's some coral over there. Point. And then yeah. throughout the opening number, which really is my favorite number from it, Bikini Bottom Day, mm-hmm. he will. we just keep having this thing where the narrator will explain, like, oh, and here's a pineapple. And one of mm-hmm. the most incredible creatures lives down here. The right. common oh, the tree sea dome. sponge. Here yes. we are. Yeah. Ah, the, home to Sandy Cheeks, the squirrel. Right. And then they point, they like, yeah, do another ding. And just you know, as you keep going, they reintroduce you to the idea of SpongeBob. It's right. And I like, I like this kind of starting from scratch. I like that this isn't just like a cut and paste adaptation of what we know mm-hmm. from the SpongeBob series and that it, it sort of recreates the root inspiration of SpongeBob by sort of taking this like, oddly like national geographic type like it, it it's mm-hmm. sort of delivered as if it's like a kitschy type underwater documentary more exactly more so than like just an episode of spongebob but everything is being introduced like with these fun like arrows and this this like narrator giving these explanations of what everything is as if it's like uh you're watching some kind of wildlife right. um thing <laughs> Well, you know what's funny? As I watched it again, because this is the first time I've watched it in a while, I really realized it has a very similar, like, it has kind of like, I'm trying to explain it, but it's like the mirror version of the original Spongebob movie, where it's like both of them kind of readapt, like, the first couple episodes again, where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, both of them, Spongebob's trying to get a job, and, you know, there's challenges and obstacles he has to overcome. Right. There is, like... You know, there's, this one has, like, the, but this one adds, like, the bubble-blowing episode, um, and, like, uh, you know, meeting Sandy for the first time, like, reintroducing Mm -hmm. their relationship, which kind of got cut out of the movie. Right. But, whereas, like, whereas, like, the movie approaches it as a, like, culmination of Spongebob, like, the final episode, basically. Yeah. This starts from scratch, where it's like, this is the first time you're seeing all of this. Yeah, welcome to Bikini Bottom, here's what it is. Yeah. Like, someone talked about, like, they don't do the Spongebob theme at the beginning of the musical. They save it as, like, a after-curtain call, like, little celebration. Mm-hmm. Whereas the movie puts it in the front and do, like, a jolly, rollicking pirate version. Right, yeah. And that's, like, the exact kind of energy both of them need. Mm-hmm. Like, the movie does feel like it's like, oh, this is the culmination of every episode that's came before it. Whereas this is, like oh, we are reimagining Spongebob from the ground up and, like, mm-hmm. making Spongebob as you're watching it. Absolutely. And and somehow, you know, you, you mentioned something about, like, people wondering if it would have, like, foam suits or anything. And mm-hmm. it's like, but I, there's something very human about the show. They They don't try to make anybody look like not a human. <laughs> Right. Which yeah. is so, and so it's like, I, I'm bringing that up because it's like, 
earlier, in earlier episodes, like, you and I talked about um, the design of Spongebob being, look, you know, looking like trash that has fallen to the bottom of the ocean. And yes. somehow this show has, like, like sort of from scratch. It's like, if, if Spongebob was a bunch of ingredients, like, this the this musical is just, like, taking those ingredients and kind of inventing a new recipe for it. So all of the pieces are, are in there. Um, right. And so through the costuming, they don't ever, nobody looks literally like the animal they're supposed to be. Right. And yet they're wearing sort of these very mixed match, like thrift shoppy, you know, mm-hmm. looking costumes um, that still mimic that, that 60s tiki essence. Yes. Like they really lean into the idea that this is like a 60s era boardwalk that people mm-hmm. are living on. Like, when we first see Spongebob, he's got, like, these plaid pants and suspenders, and he's got the tie. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Patrick wear- is wearing, like, surfer shorts and, like, has yeah. a Hawaiian shirt. Mr. Krabs is, like, the most buttoned up of the bunch. Squidward's, um, out, like, shirt is, looks like it was directly designed from, like, a, a 60s sewing, like, kit. Like, it, it's very true to that time period of being that, like, 60s, 70s, almost like a bowling, like, shirt, almost. Yes. It, that's a, Oh, it does look like a bowling shirt. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the only one with with added appendages, which we can talk to. Him and, uh, like, Larry yes. the Lobster. Did they give Larry the Lobster Yes, they gave Larry a foam suit. He's the only one who gets, oh. like, a more, like, oh, he looks like the cartoon character because yeah. they give him the silly muscles. Okay. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> else tends to be, like... Oh, Mr. Krabs has appendages. Like, they do give him... Yes. Oh, but they're... Boxing gloves. They're box... Again, this, they, this idea Again, of, like, trash. Again, it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do love that, like, you can tell... Like, this is, like, that specific element is what drew Tina Landau to it. Because apparently they started asking her, um, I'm going to probably link an episode of Waiting in the Wings for this because he does a Mm -hmm. very comprehensive coverage of, like, the history of the show to the point that Tina Landau even commented in the YouTube comments, like, that's incredible. Where did you get some of this information? Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm treating it as a relatively accurate historical record. Right, Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but apparently, like, she kept saying no because she's like, one, I do kind of like serious drama. I don't understand why you would pick me for this. Right. And two, like, I don't, I don't know how you would even like, how would you get the cartooniness and stuff? And then like, they were like, hey, look, the big thing was Nickelodeon was like, hey, we're not a hundred percent committed to this. This is more of like, a, right. We're seeing if this could work, and we think right. you could make it work. And I think a part of that is because compared to a movie, a Broadway show is fucking expensive. And if you mm-hmm. can't guarantee you're going to turn some kind of profit out of it, you just right. don't do it. Right. Um, and yeah, she started watching the show and realized like, oh, this is like an arts and crafts mismatch of styles mm-hmm. and like aesthetics and tones. Right. This, and, this show understands that like to replicate the cartooniness, you just have to have an understanding for shapes. Like, like we said yes. with, with the boxing gloves being enough to like yeah. replicate the essence of a crab. Um, you know, I, I, when, when the first time I, I saw the, the live perform, like the, you know, the mm-hmm. televised live, Spongebob musical live, whatever, um, blown away by something as simple as Sandy being a black woman with an Afro, like how genius, right. Is, is that, it, she's known for for having the circular shape on her head, and we don't need to explain anything or put an actual like th- suit on her. 
We just designed her hair to be this like spherical shape, <laughs> and yeah, and and adorned it with the the Hawaiian flower that she's always got. Right, and yeah, it's like so much of this feels like play, and I think again mm-hmm. that is one of the essences of SpongeBob. It has to feel like this madcap, joyous, sort of anarchic, cartoony thing, right. where it's like let's get all these pieces and smash them together and like put some more glitter on it and put more color on it. It is like, arts and crafts, yeah. Landau herself was like, it should feel like it should feel like glue sticks and confetti and glitter yes. and color stickers. all mashed up. Yeah, right. stickers are everywhere. Yeah, and like honestly, it's that what like the sandy element is one of the more ingenious ones um, in terms of capturing that. Or like for example, Plankton and Karen, because obviously their character designs in the show are Ooh. very very small and a boxy computer. So what they do is. They have plankton, have a little plushy plankton on his foot Isn't while he looks like a yeah. Dr. Evil-esque villain. Right, with an eye patch, just to cover yes. one of his eyes, yeah. <laughs> he, he looks like a Bond mad genius villain, but I guess more like Austin Powers because like he Austin Power. sucks. Right, you know, so for whatever reason, it doesn't feel out of place to introduce like a stuffed animal. Right, Some of, and that's not the only time they fits. do that. Like sometimes oh, they'll do like little dioramas the and dolls? stuff. Yes. When I was watching today, I, I forgot all about, like, the sequence with these, like, this, like, American Girl doll that they dressed yeah, up like these, Sandy. Yeah, like, Sour Patch dolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're not Sour um, Patch. They're ca- Cabbage Patch garbage, Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids. And, like, they're <laughs> playing with these Cabbage Patch Kids that are dressed like Spongebob and Sandy. Like, <laughs> there's nothing yes, that's there's... off limits when you, when the rules are that it's just play. Yeah, it, it has, like, an, an an anarchist sense of humor where it's, like, yeah. anything that could get dropped in the ocean is fair play right for this um and yeah like and karen like she'll carry around like her little computer stand like a little right. like roly like poly. it looks like an ivy like, <laughs> yeah know. but the actual actor is dressed up like a like 60s sci-fi alien character right. with like purple hair like a green visor yeah and like a vibrant si- silver dress right and like you're She's going got, like, through go-go this boots op- on Exactly. And you're going through this opening song and you're like absorbing the energy and you're like, this is funny. This is charming. Like we're introducing all the characters one at a time. Like, like this is very much in terms of structure. Like it really leans into the ensemble of SpongeBob more than anything I can think of in recent SpongeBob memory in terms Mm -hmm. of like, we haven't even explained the plot. The core plot is, the core plot is a volcano on the outskirts of, bikini bottom is on the verge of erupting and it'll destroy everything and it's basically going into every character's lives and figuring out how they're handling it as spongebob tries to make a madcap plan to save the day um and as plankton uses, you know plankton uses an opportunity to brainwash everyone squidward uses it as an opportunity to finally put on his one-man show which you know that is going to be a 15 minutes for us right um Sandy is being scapegoated as the one person with lungs in a gill town. And is, like, a victim of racism? Question mark? Yes. Let's talk about that um, later. <laughs> yes. Uh, Patrick has inexplicably become a cult Started leader. Started a cult, which is yeah, so... As he does. Is, is truly the most Patrick thing. And again, right. we'll talk about that. Like, let's circle back to that. But it is yeah. so on brand for him to have started a cult. That makes sense. Yeah. But, like, you're getting introduced to these characters, and they're setting up the establishing threat. They're doing the visual... Like, I would argue one of the differences between this musical and a lot is, like, more of the language is less musical language. And we'll talk about, like, how the songs work. But, like, 
more visual movement and sound effects. Like they get very specific like color codings, very specific movement codings, and very mm -hmm. specific like sound effect motifs for right. every character. There's a guy on stage doing sound effects. As a part of it. Yeah, which, you know, not only um, the the conductor, like the, for, for the orchestra, is also a, sort of a part of the show, interacts yes. with the characters, they hands reference, them props, take, yeah. they talk right to her. Yeah, the, the sound effects guy is just like slightly off stage, but is within view. They interact with him too. Can we talk about the shape of, of the stage? Yes, that's what I, because I was leading right into that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because for the beginning of the song, it's just the pineapple background on the curtain and like this little like outstretched part that goes around the conductor. Mm -hmm. um, and like they use that to like indicate transitions or like right. we're moving from one place to another. Again, right. it's the language of like, okay, here's how we're jumping from location to location. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit in the song, and this is the moment where like I just became a true believer in this musical where Spongebob's moving, and he's, like, saying hi to a bunch of random characters, like, hey, Larry, hey, old man mm -hmm. Jenkins, hey, Mrs. Puff, hello, or, hello, maestro, hello, guy making the sound effects, hello, Sky. <laughs> yeah, he does, like, a little, like, He does, like, like a pop block of, routine uh, with, the, with the sound effects guy, yeah. He, hello, Sky, hello, flowers, hello, bikini bottom, and then the curtain raises, and, like, everyone's on stage, like, frozen, just before, and, like, a drum riff cues them in, Mm -hmm. And this, you realize how big the stage is and how right. big this musical is mm -hmm. where you have all of these different, like, like even more costumes than you think. People, like, wearing traffic cones on their heads right. with a million little, like, with little, like, fake octopus legs. Mm -hmm. People are, like, a starfish is, like, twirling in the sky on, like, wires. Yeah. Like, cast members are running into the stands waving around, like, glow sticks. yeah. They and have those tall, like, like Lion King esque. Um, I've you know, seen yes. those in Lion. I don't know what they're called at all, but they're like on these huge poles, and they kind of look like birds flying around. Like, I guess yeah. they're kind of meant to be like jellyfish. I don't know. And yeah, you immediately are like, oh, you realize how big this is. Where it's like, yes, this is arts and crafts, but instead of having eleven minutes, you have a Broadway like budget to just mm -hmm. play, and we're right. going to have fun damn it <laughs> yeah you are going to be cackling and giggling by the end of this right okay. um so we've established i know we've, we've established all that so let's let's circle back to some of the specifics about the story itself mm -hmm. um you yes. know i remember you mentioning a while ago when we used to talk about this the kind of the 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 genius of making the conflict be like sort of an inter external force of nature Mm -hmm. Um, that is like how successful or how, how you can more easily tell a story when it's like everyone is evenly facing the same exact risk. Right. Cause it's like Plankton's the villain because he's trying to brainwash people, but he didn't start the volcano. Like yeah. this is just his reaction to something. Right. This is how he naturally reacts to a crisis to the point right. where there's a bit at the end where Spongebob goes, we're alive, Plankton, and thanks for your concern. It's about time someone around here has <laughs> decency. And you're like, he's not wholly wrong. Right, exactly. But, um, you know, it matters because this, the Spongebob musical, it's, it's, it's not a new theme at all. And we talked about this mm -hmm. for the Spongebob movie and in sort of the overarching themes of Spongebob in general. 
about other other people believing in you, about your ability to believe in yourself when it seems like nobody else does. It it is a musical about kind of uh what what is it? persevering when you when you are quote unquote like outcast or you don't fit in or you don't move through the world right. in the ways that other people do. Um like at its core this is no different than what SpongeBob has always been about. Uh, it's just it, it, the the musical aspect of it just gives it so much more depth, and it really right. like sort of inspires this really visceral like emotional reaction. At least in me, I feel very oh, like yeah. it's something about it. It almost feels silly to be so emotionally moved by a musical about SpongeBob, but right. it's but it's but it's about getting to win um when everyone thought that like you wouldn't (laughs) in so many ways this like this show wears its chip on its shoulder it feels like they announced it before they had written a single word which we know is not true because apparently this was workshopped a lot in terms of like they're like we're basically going to spend a year just having people come in and do movement and like color tests and basically be like yes no yes no they described it as like when uh, they were making the Miami Vice TV show. They would just have like a connoisseur come in and point at things and go, "That's Vice, right? That's not Vice," and basically be like, "All right, what is SpongeBob in this mm-hmm. context?" And it is so interesting because I really have locked in on this idea that you've presented throughout this series of like SpongeBob in a lot of ways, like is about how like the weirdo or the outcast has that secret ability to save the day when you least expect it. And Mm. what I like about this show is it has that. It really is like, we are going to go through a lot of, like we are going to go through a lot of like the original episodes in terms of tone and pace and broad structure, but show each character in a new light and kind of find a hidden aspect in all of them we haven't seen. Like for SpongeBob, it is that insecurity of like, he kind of knows he's the weirdo. He kind of does mm-hmm. know, like, people people see him differently than everyone else. And it's him trying to figure out, like, what is that special trait I have that makes me unique? Um, you know, Patrick, he brings Patrick and Sandy on at this team to, like, stop the volcano. And I really, this time I've really leaned into, basically these sardines hear Patrick say some weird innocuous comment, like, well, maybe if we close our eyes, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. And they misinterpret it as And create genius. a religion around that yes, one philosophy. Yes, and they create a pink, green uh, cult around it. Right. And it's like, right, because so much of early Patrick is being, like, the smart guy. He's, like, SpongeBob's, right. like, sage, older guardian figure. Like, or yeah. just a pothead. Um, in in so many ways, he's the one giving the advice to to, which is so strange because like on the surface level, he's an idiot. But like the whole Pinky episode was his, yes. like, you know, yeah. his genius he's idea. He's like, oh, SpongeBob. SpongeBob. I know exactly no, 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 no. what to do. But and I feel like yeah, or like episodes, the Wumbo Mumbo thing. Yeah, I feel like he's done something similar to this before. Like remember when like that weird episode like in the later seasons when he had his brain like taken out and put back in and then he was suddenly just like a quote-unquote genius and that like yes. kind of got the ego like got to like he also has always had this like easily um swayable like ego issue yeah and that that's has like, gotten him again, in trouble that's like the secret of this show you see these but like you're like 
they just move the spotlight in a different angle and you see a different like contouring of their face and you're like oh this was always here it just needed to be mm-hmm. spelled out in like confetti cannons and neon right. lights right like yeah patrick has always had that ego and that feeling of like well why don't people listen to me i'm smart i have good ideas right. you know like yeah you're like thinking about the core of of like spongebob as a character and about like you know you said you just said something that that stood out to me about him knowing that he's weird you know i was as i was re-listening to the soundtrack in the song just a simple sponge such a we will get into the music of this which is such a moving i want stuff song um but there's a line in it where he says so what i'm a sponge it's what i want to be and like I don't like that just like stood out that for for whatever reason when I when I heard that again, now that we've sort of like looked into this with like a fine tooth comb, I'm like oh there's something really interesting in um, in not him not only feeling any not feeling any shame about his being different, but where does SpongeBob get this confidence from or this belief in what he is without any external evidence of it of 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 himself right well that's like kind of what the song is he's like yeah you know i do karate i can eat a lot of ice cream i can even play my nose um and it really is like amazing where you're like yeah of course he believes in himself he can do all these great things and he does have good friends and even though like mr krabs puts him down like all the people in this town I think having him as a human really underlines the Pee Wee Herman of it all. Yes, like, 100%. One, Ethan Slater is just fucking great. Like, how do you oh. hit... Like, it's so hard to hit a casting right out of the park and have yeah. him through, like, all of the, like, test trials in the Chicago run and, like, then get him on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like, Grand Slam... Like, Shohei Otani levels of, like, that beautiful sound of a ball hitting a bat. Right. Um, that's a deep cut for all our baseball fans out there. <laughs> all two of you. Yep, um, yeah, they are. But um, and they so also funny. to to get you know it, it it was ingenious to make this character um, somebody with like gymnastics ability and like that that's mm-hmm. how we would illustrate this the spongy cartoonness of it is to make him do a bunch of acrobatic right stunts. Yeah, it's like okay, you know, it's we have to have like a big action set piece. So you're having Ethan like climb on this like metal grating wall. Right. And you're like, wow, this is nuts that he's, you realize like, he's cut. He's kind of cut. Like <laughs> I was like, no, he looks this like he's been training. Jacked. Like he's kind of jacked. Um, he's doing like splits and like, this is a guy that's like doing parkour on the stage. And he's like doing these splits and flips and stuff. And like, right. There's a bit, making um, it move like curtain. a sponge. The final curtain call got recorded and put on YouTube because Tina does a big speech. And at one point, he has a volleyball, and someone's like, hit it, hit it. And he just whips up, and you're like, shit. <laughs> um, and I love I love listening to his story about how he came onto the project, because he's like, um, the actress who plays Sandy, like, they were, like, classmates. Oh, um, no way. And, yeah. And he got sent this, he got apparently uh, Lily Cooper, who I believe is not in the recording you've seen, because at that point she was on Broadway with uh, Tootsie, which I also saw her in, which I actually kind of like that show. I know it's very controversial for a number of reasons, but I actually Mm -hmm. had a good time with it. Um, Anyway, so 
they send Ethan Slater, like, a dummy script, basically. Because, you know, when you're working on a big IP, sometimes you'll send people, like, um, you know, rehearsal sheets or, like, audition right. sheets. And they'll have, like, different names. Someone described, um, someone who was auditioning for Detective Pikachu, all the word, the word Pokemon kept getting swapped out for Pooch. Um, okay. So they were throwing rocks at Pooches. Anyway, so it was about a character named Barnacle Bob. And almost immediately he's like, oh, fuck, is this a Spongebob thing? Like, it was... <laughs> It was, um, I think it was like the bubble blowing episode. Or no, it was the pie episode. They're like, they gave oh. him, they gave him like script pages from when SpongeBob eats the pie and he had to rehearse, like he was auditioning with the scene where he's about to blow up. Oh man. And he's like, he's like, I didn't have time to prepare an actual SpongeBob voice. So I kind of just did it in my voice. And apparently Tina took him aside and was like, Hey, we love what you're doing. The energy's great. You gotta do, you gotta try to do a little voice. You gotta do the laugh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he got the role. But yeah, uh, like I said, it, it underlines the Pee Wee Herman of, like, you're kind of weird, you're kind of off the walls, you're kind of, like... Are you a man? Are you, are you your, a child? Yeah. You're kind of... Are you getting your jelly beans off to this? Because there's, like, the bit where he gets <laughs> shaken up by the earthquake, or the, like, volcanoes, like, seismic eruptions, and he goes, mm -hmm. I kind of liked it. And I'm like, are you getting yeah. your jelly beans off right now, young man? Obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, and... But at the same time, you're like, yeah, he does worm your way into, he does worm his, and you see how he just worms his way into everyone's heart, because you're like, mm -hmm. damn it, you try so hard, and you you have such a pure heart about all of this. Right. You know, I think what this musical really has, like, highlighted to me, something that I've always kind of gone back and forth about in my mind when thinking about Spongebob, like, because it's so easy to be like, oh, there's a Spongebob in all of us, like, are all of us are all of us mm -hmm. some version of this. But really, when I think about it, there's so much similarity, there are so many similarities between Spongebob and Squidward. And sometimes I think that we are actually all Squidwards. And and something about this musical really highlights that the, Squidward gets to have a really profound moment in this musical. Yes. But, um, I feel like we're just saving that as our, like, coupe de gras of this entire Right, That's exactly. That's like the cherry on top. Like, but, we're talking Reddit, but... Right. The, the, the essence of that is that, yeah, these are two people with really big dreams. One of them is just extremely negative. And one yeah. of them is, is extremely positive. Neither of them are really realistic. Um, right. Well, but, <laughs> but those are... Well, but, but they have almost the same aspirations. Again, it's like, the power of a musical is, like, when you have someone literally sing what they want with life... Mm -hmm. Like, it just makes everything, like, make more sense. You just see so much. And it, it does underline, like, with both of these characters, like, Spongebob is a happy little fish who wants to, like, be the be biggest part of a little pond. Whereas mm -hmm. Squidward is a little is fish a jaded who's frustrated he's not in another, a bigger pond. In the biggest pond in the world, yeah. Um, yeah, and Gavin Lee, I love also with all these, like, every casting's kind of perfect. I really like how they find, and it's so much of the show, is finding this insane balancing act of, like, not going too cartoony, but being cartoony mm -hmm. enough that, like, the whole play element works. Because right. if they were playing it even 5% more, like, straight-faced, if they were doing slightly oh, yeah. less of the voices, this right. whole fucking thing falls apart, because you're like, Absolutely, cause you why are you acting, buy it. yeah, this isn't, what. yeah, you wouldn't buy it. But if you mm -hmm. went too cartoony, it's like, well, this is just... This is noise. This is just yeah. people yelling at each other. This is nothing. Right. There's no emotional stakes to this. I like that um, this musical, you know, again, just talking about the ingredients of SpongeBob being all in it. Um, 
it it's it doesn't skimp on it's sort of more a like mature like adult themed jokes here and there which uh-huh. which is always present in SpongeBob if you're if you're smart enough if you're an adult you pick up on really uh-huh. like unique um like very grown up smart humor that that's like threaded throughout it. I'm glad that they didn't skimp on that or lean too far in the direction of it being like a show for kids. Um right. The the joke that I love from the beginning cuz we're introduced to this like mayor figure and I love that after like they are they first, you know, realize about the eruption, she makes this announcement where she's like I am endeavoring to assemble a committee to assess the solution for a, and like I just love that they add this very like we can't trust the politicians and they have yeah. no idea what they're doing. There's Joke. a reason why this show caught on when it did. It kind of was right. like, perfectly timed cuz like the Chicago like Chicago started in like 2016. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that it's this middle ground of like it's caught in that era of like adapting and parroting politicians where it's like, man, we were really banking on Hillary winning. Like, like all of these shows at the time had female presidents and it's like, we were clearly like, we bank, thought that was you the know, putting stuff yeah. into that. But right. then also it's in the Trump era where it's like, well then we're she jaded. dons red and like, yeah. yeah, she's like, she blatantly abuses power and blames the media for everything. Exactly. It's weird. And it's kind like, of, it kind of is a time capsule in that. Yeah. Um, um, I also love like, there's a, like towards towards the end, when um, the citizens of Bikini Bottom are sort of just meet about to meet their fate, they do this like Anatevka Anatevka like march out. <laughs> I forgot about that. Right. Like again. even there's like okay wait one of the set pieces is this like periscope screen that that they yes. like project images and there's even one that has like a fiddler on the roof. Yes. In the I background. About the fiddler. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, who's getting this yeah. joke right now? Yeah, there's like, eight, there's like, 10% of the audience is getting this joke, and they right. are howling right, <laughs> right now. And that's like the magic of Spongebob. It's like, it's not one comedy style. There's no, quote unquote, Spongebob, or there's no, like, Spongebob comedy. It's like every right. kind of comedy that's ever existed, sh- like, sh- like, crashed into each other at 100 right. miles per hour. Where it's like, yeah, sometimes you'll just do a stupid bit where his arm stretches too far. Or you'll right. do a bit where people are just yelling. Or a weird, innocuous, like, bit of wordplay. Or, like, I forgot, and I think they cut this line out of the um, the screen version. There's a bit where, like, Spongebob and Sandy are climbing the mountain. And um, Sandy's like, this mountain isn't going to climb itself. And Spongebob goes, unless, Spongebob, it just won't. Right? <laughs> and it's like, just dumb shit like that. Right. And, like, physical comedy. Like, every kind of comedy ever. So, to the point where you're doing a Fiddler on the Roof reference. Joke, just yeah. Just out of fucking left field. Right. Like, no warning about... Like, there's right. not even that many other... Mu- they I just can't even think of another musical to... parody in this. No. <laughs> and I really like that it doesn't really play the hits either. Like, right. there's, like, maybe four or five different moments where they directly reference a specific another joke Another episode or another show. quote. Yeah, and like, Patrick says, the inner machinations of my mind are enigma. Right, enigma. There's the my leg guy. Right. Um, there's the dolphin swearing at the very end. What, like, it, okay, let's be honest for a second. Like, as much as we love this musical, the callbacks that they do include, in my opinion, like, don't really land. There is one, the my leg one lands for me. Other than that, yeah. I do kind of agree with the you. The inner machinations there, of my mind are an enigma. Like, I was like, okay, we did it. That one, yeah, that one, it's like, okay, you kind of just crowbarred that one. Right. The dolphin one's a little funny, just because yeah. it comes after a huge emotional catharsis moment. And right. you're like, oh, right. Oh, but yeah, yeah I do, 
there are literally two criticisms I have for this entire show, and that's one of them. Yeah. Um, well, I guess a third is, like, the music could benefit from a little more, like, coherence, but I don't wholly agree with that criticism. Mm-hmm. That's more like a half-hearted, like, well, maybe you could have taken another pass and figured out how to stitch some of the songs together better, but, like, that there feels are certain really parts half-hearted that I agree. as a criticism. Should we, wait, okay, wait, should we just lean into, like, some of the things we kind of aren't loving? Um, ah, while well, we're in the neighborhood. We, yeah. Plus, we can use that as an excuse to springboard and talk about the music. Yes. Okay. I don't like any of the Pearl stuff. Yes. I think this is the one criticism <laughs> we both agree with. And I think I figured out why on this watch. Why? Because, as we talked about, what's cool about this show is it takes all of the different elements of Spongebob and presents them in a new light. The Pearl Mr. Crab stuff is the only one that doesn't really do that. Yeah. That is the one where it's like, we're doing the same beats. Well, with Mr. Crabs, it's the same beat as it has been. Money, 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 money. Mm-hmm. And Pearl, like... And it's interesting because, like, I don't think of Pearl as a main character in Spongebob, but when you look at all the original pitch drawings, you see she's right there with, like, Plankton yeah. and Mr. Krabs, and you're like, oh, she was originally intended to be, like, a regular, wasn't she? Right. So, like, her whole thing is she just wants to, like, be a teenager and then, like, her, have her dad appreciate her music. It's just kind of... It's the one part of this where it's like, we need to... What are we doing here? Yeah. It's like plot sort of maintenance where it's like yes well we need to introduce the idea of doing a benefit concert which i do like is a very old school hollywood or broadway like we have to put on a show yes Um, yes i like that yeah which is that part's fine but it's like okay so we need to introduce a boy band which is my least favorite song um yeah and then it's like oh pearl can sing so she wants to be their backup singer um and it's like and all of that is mostly just to serve to us getting to Squidward's, like, right. actual, like, award-winning and, Okay, if this is what we needed changing. to do to get here, I'll allow it. Fine, but it is, like, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's like the suspension's on a bridge. It's just necessary right. to be there. Um, right. I also, while we're talking about characters and cast, I would be remiss if I did not remind everyone that, and it's so, such a bummer that she's not in the televised version, but on Broadway, do you know who originated the role of Karen Plankton? Um, I felt like I recognized the name as I was looking on this Wikipedia, but I can't put a face to it. Stephanie Sue, who Why do I know, know who that is? So, she is the Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Act. Oh, she was only nominated. I forgot Jamie Lee Curtis won. She was the Academy Award nominated actress for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could not put a face with that, but yes. her. Why does her wiki not have her picture on it? It is weird. Um, she also, I also forgot she originated no the role way. of Chris. Yeah, right? How insane is that? Yeah, um, that, that she, is insane. Well, I'm also seeing multiple different about... spellings for her name. Maybe that's why I didn't even put that together. Cool. She's also, like, kind of more, I feel like she's kind of more known for her Broadway stuff, because she also originated the role of Christine, Christine Canigula um, for Be More Chill, which was, like, oh. supposed to be the next big teen musical, but, mm-hmm. like, it just, its Broadway run just kind of fell flat yeah. in space. Which, I will give um, Nickelodeon and everyone credit for doing the trial run in Chicago first, and, like, actually identifying things that needed to improve. Mm. Like, because someone once said, like, 
when you go to Broadway, like, because an example is, like, American Psycho, they just skipped doing an off-Broadway run and went straight to Broadway, and it's like, oh, we didn't fix enough. This is still a mess. Right. Um, you know, that's what happened with Be More Chill. It's like, they were like, well, people want us to go to Broadway, so we're just going to Broadway, baby. And then it's like, right. wow, your female, your female characters are horribly written. How did you yeah. not fix this? Your problems don't get smaller, they get bigger, as someone said. Or your problems don't go away, they get bigger, because the stage is bigger, right. as someone said. Um, and, yeah, I think that is one of the advantages. This, like, like this feels like a show that's been polished to a damn near shine. Like, we criticize it there for a minute, but it's mm-hmm, like... But- that's about it. That's yeah. it? Those are the only criticisms? Right. Um, should we talk about the music really quick? Because we haven't explained We've got the... to. Yeah. Listen, so... this soundtrack is some like inexplicably padded out with, like, dare I say, legends of the music industry. That yes. Let, it, and it let seems, me read off some of these. It, it seems odd. Like, it, it's not odd, but it's like, it, it is amazing that these people were gathered to write a musical about Spongebob. See, here's the thing. I don't necessarily agree with that, because it's kind of, if you're going to do a Spongebob musical, and you're not going to commit to having one person write all the music, this is kind of perfect, because when you look over the history of Spongebob, it's like, they do get a lot of guests. They get a lot of oh, musical yeah. guests. Oh, they yeah. They've get. they always had celebrity guests as well, like and being attracts- on the show. Right, and it kind of tracks that you would do a sort of jukebox musical in the sense of, right. like, it's all of these different artists, right? but they're writing original songs. So just right. to read off the names, um, Jonathan Colton, who is, like, a sort of folk comedy songwriter, um, apparently mm. he was brought in after the Chicago run as, like, sort of the main musical voice to sort of, like, cl- do extra lyrics and kind of clean up. He wrote, like, all the reprises for Bikini Bottom Day to give it a little more cohesion. Uh, David fucking Bowie. Bowie. Plain white tees. Like, hold for applause. <laughs> yeah. T.I. Panic at the Disco. Alex Ebert. Cindy Lauper. Oh, Cindy freaking um, Lauper. Yolanda Adams. The Flaming Ugh. Lips. Sarah Bareilles. Sarah Bareilles. Uh, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, like, the main two creative voices behind Aerosmith. Right. Uh, Lady A, Maybe but you know what? Let's not hold Fuck them. Yeah, let's not hold yes. that against. <laughs> right. We didn't know. We it's didn't okay. Think about Nothing that is yet. perfect. Yeah. John Legend. They might, they be, might giants. be giants. Of course. And then, of course, uh, we get a song at the end, and we can describe this scene later with right. um, a original from Tom Kenny. Like, when I say, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm. You're right. I'm glad that this is like a jukebox soundtrack with with legend of this of this industry but it's just like i'm impressed <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed with with the with the likes of of this right. class um for you know, for every weird. song for for ti to right. yolanda adams like that's okay we like i have to pause there like i don't know if i've ever given context to you about who yolanda adams is like but no. anybody who was raised listening to gospel music in the Baptist church, like Yolanda Adams is a legend is what like, is sort of one of the originators of, of what modern gospel music is. And for her to write a pretty straight faced gospel song for Patrick star to sing for to his congregation, fat pink right. star for his cult. Like, yes, something about that for is so hilarious. Sardines. And, but, but she, she just wrote a gospel song. Like it's not even a cartoonish, like it just sounds yeah. like a song that None you, of these are you could hear songs. in church. No. Like, they're all played her, very straight They're played in terms very of, like, straight. character emotions. And even genuine, the comedy songs. Right. 
and and I and I'm just impressed like wow she just wrote a proper gospel song for Patrick Starr that's amazing yeah I mean I think like again it captures like the sort of rebellious rebellious anarchic energy of Spongebob that they managed to get all of these people to do sincere genuine songs for their show but also that they got everyone to do one song because right. there have been like celebrity there have been celebrities doing musicals before famously Sp- Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark had <laughs> like Bono and the Edge doing all the music but um... like it makes more sense to convince an artist to do a whole soundtrack like it doesn't it's insane to be like we need exactly one song right right and the fact that it like works as well as it does because like there is that challenge of like there's a, once you get the songs and put them in there's only so much you can do because you can't just keep asking these guys can you rewrite to go this back part? to can you the... rewrite this part yeah and like there's only so much you can be allowed to change it without like getting involved with a lot of like rights holding mm-hmm. um what are some of your favorite songs i mean Obviously, Bikini Bottom Day is my favorite from the soundtrack. One. It's a good it one. It is, as far as, in terms of, like, the Spongebob canon, that is one that I think should be put alongside, like, all of the, like, songs from the show as, like, this is just a standard of the sponge now. Right, exactly. Um, I am very partial to BFF. Um, I like BFF, too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this was going to be us naming each song. <laughs> right. Um, because... When the going gets tough is just a special moment in the show. Right. It is I one mean, of the moments like, where the creativity get into and silliness that? comes to a head. Where, like, Plankton just, like, straight up has, like, a hip-hop dance break with his own, like, dance crew. And, I mean, like, I remember this going viral on Twitter. Like, when, yes. when the live one, like, hit, hit online. And just this moment of the... people who had never seen the show being like, he he did what he had to do. Like, this, like Plankton really ate that. Like, wow. Yeah. I do think it, it is amazing seeing people, because, like, one of the big strengths of the show was its Twitter account very much understood the assignment. And yeah. it is always so fun seeing people who have no visual or, like, no. artistic context for the show being like, wait, what the fuck is this? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> this is um, what they're doing on SpongeBob Musical? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he has, like, the little Plankton... Uh, plushie on his <laughs> yes. foot and he's doing like all of these moves and you're like yeah, yeah. this is it's actually insane that they got away with this and right. critics liked it critics weren't just yeah. like what the what the fuck is this yeah exactly um, um just a simple sponge is a really emotionally moving right piece Pan- I, did, I forgot that panic at the disco was was on this um but i think it's sort of a perfect i want stuff song right um yeah and it's like as we're talking about it i realize how much of like because i talked about like oh instead of having a lot of specific musical motifs to like stitch everything together it is like the visual language that ties everything together so much of how all of these work is that the staging is so strong like because we go from plankton we go from this plankton bit of like having these Mm -hmm. background dancers and having his little like plushie on his foot right to Spongebob having all of these spun- neon glowing right, sponges, like stars, black yeah. lights, to do, like, shapes and motions, and, mm-hmm. like, serving as his, like, chorus for this number, and you're like, yeah, that is how we're stitching all these together, having this incredible staging and this incredible visual language to make all of this feel like it makes emotional sense together. Right. Um, um I actually think Hero is my middle name is, like, one of my favorites, because it's just a fun little bop, like, it's, it's right. just kind of a vibe. <laughs> I think that's also the advantage. All these songs are just good. 
Like, yes. it is like, okay, I only have to make one song. All right, I can, I can bring it for one song. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and I'm like, that has one of my favorite visual jokes in the entire show, because it's like Patrick, Sandy, and Spongebob all coming together and being like, we're going to save the day. Yeah. And just as, like, the final chorus builds up, like the little instrumental interlude that gets you to the final bombastic chorus, mm-hmm. um, Spongebob and Sandy do cartwheels, and Patrick and just, takes a step as if he's going to do it, and then just and then does just a like, runs, little Mario jump. Right. <laughs> and the audience loses it every time. And, like, this is absolutely a show that if it goes on tour, you really should see it with an audience because yeah. so much of the energy is just the audience just completely buying in. Losing by it, that yeah. Um, Super Sea Star Savior I love because, Ooh. again, in terms of taking all of the elements of SpongeBob... Right. The weird ham-boning obsession that yeah. always seems to follow Patrick around. Right. So they give him a tambourine, and he just starts and, ham-boning Right, with it. which is amazing. Like, I, I forgot, like, until we had to come back and rewatch this, about the tambourine bit. <laughs> and the ham-boning in the middle of this, like, gospel number that feels so larger than life when they have all their dancers in these, like, in their cult gear. <laughs> right. Like, and- it's amazing. And they're doing this weird, like, silent, like, it's not silent, but it's, like, they w- turn, like, Have, like, the, a hand-dancing um, language. What are, what do they call them? Are are they supposed to be an enemy or like, or no? Uh, sardines. Um, sardines. Yeah. The the anemone is is in Squidward's number, but yeah, they give them this weird. You know, it reminds me of Finding Nemo. The those are also, are aren't those anch? Oh, those are anchovies. Um, but like oh, that the right. that like small fish find like a way to communicate as a mass through like yeah. movement. <laughs> Like, they don't have the brain capacity alone to communicate, no. but if they form a group, <laughs> All together, they basically they can... become a hive mind. Right, exactly. Um, God, which is such a weird thing. And then Tomorrow is, um, honestly, I another one I thought was very grossly underrated um, as I came back to this on another viewing, just because I like, it is like, it's another one of the show- ones that gives everything, like, a sense of musical integrity because it does, like, go through all the characters and their wants and then does a little reprise of Bikini Bottom Day. Yeah. Um, it's also, like... And we'll talk about this as we get to Poor Pirates because we are just... Fuck it. We're just going through all the songs. Yeah. We also forgot to mention No Control, which is just a fun song. Oh. And I just appreciate they got David it's Bowie David for Bowie. This. Right. Yeah. We you know. We know. Um, one of my little nitpicks of, like... I would highly recommend watching this on Paramount Plus, but at the same time, like... Some of it's cut out, right? Yeah, they cut and change a lot. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of the jokes get... A lot of the best jokes get cut out. And this random bit with Patchy doesn't really make sense. So, okay. So, the Paramount Plus version starts with, like, a really cute animation of Patrick, Spongebob, and Squidward sitting in the theater and being like, no chewing, no this, no that, you know, Mm -hmm. be a respectful guest. And it's, like, a fun little bit of animation. But... How the show starts in theater is you walk in, the Hawaiian music's playing, like, and Patchy at some point sits on stage as if he has a VIP pass and gets caught trying to film the show and gets chased off stage. So then when he comes back, it's him sneaking back into the theater Mm -hmm. as this, like, usher is chasing him around. Right. Um, And, yeah, so they get a song called Poor Pirates, which... It's centered around the idea of pirate prejudice, which I only nitpick about <laughs> because it's like, we can't do two discrimination metaphors in one show. In one, yeah, come on now. Yeah, like, at least Sandy, with Sandy, she's black, so it's like, oh, you can see we, the code. We like, see the, it, yeah. yeah. Again, like, 
again, seeing the different lights of a character and being like, yeah, there aren't a lot of episodes that lean into the fact that she is, like, an alien, basically. Like, yeah. she's literally in, like, sci-fi gear. At one yeah. point, she makes a rocket right. to go to the moon. Right. Um, but I like pirate stuff, so this song works for me. Yeah. There's a random line that they cut out of the um, broadcast version where someone's like, Long John created the Bloomin' Onion. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and one of my favorite visual um, gags in the whole show is a Pittsburgh pirate comes yes, on stage. Yes, uh, that is hilarious. And he's just dancing along with them doing all the choreography in a yeah. baseball uniform. Just that uh, that's what it is. Yeah. I also like the notion of like, he went to a gay bar and these are the people he Yes, found. right, exactly. Um, but, um, sorry, real quick, I'll just say, um, there are versions of this on YouTube. I will say watch the official version yeah. and then watch the YouTube version because you mm. do get a lot of extra stuff. And I will also say the one disadvantage of a pro shoot is they feel like they need to shoot it like a movie, which I get. You don't want to just I, recreate the experience whole cloth. But I wanted to mention that like I actually don't think this televised version was shot very well. Yeah. Well, that's it's the problem with pro shoots. They overthink it. Yeah. And that just... Especially this show that's so much built on, like, really big expressions and emotions that you're supposed to be able to read from, like, from the far top away. Of the they don't read so Zooming much with those, so many yeah. close-ups, yeah. Yeah. And that's just more of a... It's more of a problem with pro shoots than this pro shoot specifically. It's, mm-hmm. like, the form of them is bad. But at the same time, it's like, well, we can't just plop the camera down in the middle of the audience and watch it, because then how do we convince people to see it in theater? Right. Like, in a theater. But mm-hmm. I digress. Um, Bikini Bottom Boogie is my least favorite song. Because, again, I just the boy band stuff is just a means well, to an end. you didn't enjoy watching them do all their BMX tricks? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's fun. I, like, it's Because it's a callback to Nickelodeon. Right. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's like a fun little callback to, like, yeah, rocket power. Yeah. Kick flip on some taxis. On your mom, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay, Chop to the Top, which is another, like, it's kind of a vibe song, I guess. We, really, that number is just about us watching this cool, oh, we have to talk about that the, we didn't talk about how the mountain is made of, like, boxes. Like, yeah. cardboard. Well, see, that's why this song rocks. It's a cardboard yeah. box mountain. Right. Where it's <laughs> and like, they're, in- and, like, shipping equipment, like, those yeah. forklift things, yeah. And, again, in terms of, like, how do you sell a big, imposing space on a stage, it is incredible what they do just having all of these different boxes on, like, wheelie dealies. Yeah. So, like, Spongebob keeps falling into different boxes, and, like, Mm -hmm. the boxes they're on keep getting separated. Like, there's just a great bit where they finally, like, take a minute to breathe, and they start, like, giving each other finger guns, like, ha-ha. That's just (laughs) such a fucking good job of being, like, yeah, Spongebob, Patrick, and Cindy are the best friends. Right, Like, they do such a good job selling you on, like, oh, yeah, they're all bros, they have, right. like, there's a great little bit of choreography I didn't pick up on at first where, like, Spongebob is in front of them, high-fives them, f- like, bends down, lets them low-five him, and then Patrick and Sandy oh, high-five. Where I'm like, head. that's such a cute little, like, combo. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, they're finger-gunning, and then the boxes just split in half as the music gets dramatic. Like, right. it is, they get so much out of those damn boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like, chop to the top because, again, in terms of, like, oh, we're taking the elements of the pilot again it's like right the first thing spongebob and sandy relate to or uh sandy relate on is karate Mm, exactly um and then i guess i miss you um yeah we needed a way to to loop patrick back in 
Yeah. I just like, on the stage version, they start showing pictures from the show on the stage. Oh. Like, Spongebob and Patrick hanging out mm-hmm. from, like, different episodes. And I'm like, all right, that's cute that you're referencing, acknowledging what they actually look like. Right. <laughs> um, is it time to talk about it? We, we can't avoid it any longer. <laughs> We're an hour and a half in, for the love of God. We have I to. know. All right, it's, it's time to we face We knew what this was going to be. Music. Yeah. So it's time well, no, to talk about Squidward. Place. It's time to talk yes. about Squidward, but like really talk about Cute Squidward. Tentacles. Portrayed Squidward by tentacles. Uh, portrayed by Gavin Lee on Broadway, who does a miraculous um, job. We haven't mentioned what Squidward looks like on stage and yes. his what? costume pieces. Like yes, perhaps the most visually inventive thing the whole show does. Oh yeah, so he essentially operates with four legs, which. I think it's right. Like, in the show, yeah, he's got four legs and two arms. So, mm-hmm. um, and according to Steven Hillenburg, like, Squidward is intended to be an octopus. His name is just Squidward. But anyway. There's just less um, fun puns with octopus. Or, with octoword or whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah, so his own so, front... Gavin's legs are in front, but he's sort of, yes. like, harnessed into these, like, extra two legs that are, like, mirroring him behind him. Like... And they're attached so that they, like, they have, like, knee joints in them so that, like, when he bends his leg, the the same appendage on the back also moves, like, in the opposite direction. If that makes sense? You'll have to see it for yourself. Yeah. If you've seen one thing from the show, you've probably seen the legs. They basically jerry-rigged, like, a a 40-pound harness to make his leg movement. Um, Right. Where its legs basically become little, like, almost diamond pendulums. Yes, it's exactly. Like, they, that's what they like, look like, diamonds. Yeah. Um, one, he's great in terms of sound effects, because they get these specific Squidward sound effects to a point, to yes. a T, like that. Right. But, yes. So his entire thing for this show is, and I love on stage, like, they introduce him, I believe, what do they call him? Um, Gemini uh, Miserable. And he's like, no, 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 this fry cooking gig is a temporary thing. Right. I've been working on a one-man show, Tentacle Spectacle, the musical. And I love that it, it's like, of course Squidward would, like, his version of a Broadway show would be, like, a review. Bold and brash. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like one star just on stage doing yes. bits and singing and dancing. All night. Yeah, absolutely. So he, they keep underlining this idea that back when he was a kid, they used to call him a loser a lot. And his mom kept encouraging him that one day he would be on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and after he gets in a fight with this boy band who leave, and all hope seems lost, he's at his He's put in moments. charge of the show. Like, he's put in charge of yes, stage yeah. managing the show. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out a way to sort of use it as an opportunity to get himself an opportunity to perform. Right. And once the boy band calls him a loser and he blows up at them, they decide they don't want to do this anymore and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to describe this? Because you, I think you are the yes. one who made me appreciate this isn't just a fun song. This is a profound song. It's not just a fun song. Like, this is, you know, as, as interactive of a show as this musical is, for an entire song, the proverbial (laughs) fourth wall comes down and we all get to participate in Squidward having his day in the sun and and it's it's so weird okay well first of all let's talk about the song I'm not a loser 
um, by They Might Be Giants, which for those of you that have ever heard the music of They Might Be Giants, it makes so much sense for them to write this song because a lot of their music is sort of like kitschy, um, like wordplay, um, storytelling type music. Um, And so this is a song where he speaks in almost exclusively like double negatives and triple negatives, which makes sense because as we mentioned before, he's, he's got just as many dreams as SpongeBob. He's just a negative pessimist. And so it is hilarious that the whole song is him rather like explaining himself in all negative terms. And, but like, if you, if you were to do the math, do the algebra of what he's saying, like he is talking about not being a loser People do like him, and the reality is that he is not even alone in this present moment. Like that's kind of the 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 core of the the chorus goes. I am not not all alone. Yeah, <laughs> but if you think too hard about that, <laughs> that'll confuse you. And it's like the audience gets welcomed in to this experience where, like, if you. If, if this is this is what you were talking about in the beginning, where you're looking at the people t- to the sides of you in this audience, and you're like, "Are we all experiencing this together?" Yes, right. we are. This is happening. That rare moment. This is happening. A piecing of art where you're like, "We, uh, you are we're a part of it, this, right?" Yeah, we're in a moment right now. We are all experiencing a moment. So what what literally happens is that Squidward is joined by these sea anemone. Anemone. I never pronounce that right. Who have googly um, little eyes on who, their hands? Google like little puppets on their hands and feet with Google eyes and they come to comfort him and they become, first of all, they're wearing hot pink feathery costume, yes. obviously. They are the and most flamboyant t- color you could possibly get. Absolutely. And you know, um, this just turns into tentacle spectacle, the musical where SpongeBob, or I mean Squidward jumps into this bombastic show stopping number with incredible tap dancing. I mean, we talked about, him wearing a forty pound yeah. piece, and he and tap, you he does all an four of those feet have tap shoes taps on them. on them, and and he does this this absolutely acrobatic tap number in this thing. So like this this show is the culmination of everything he's ever wanted. He's dancing, he's singing, he's playing the clarinet. Playing the clarinet, good. He's playing the clarinet well. Like yes. <laughs> we've never heard it's him like play a well. good solo, right? Like, right. there's no case he can't play it well. He's, like, he's kind of bad yet, at it. He does this yeah. miraculous um, show-stopping. There's even a kick line. Like, it is the epitome of, like, the most stereotypical Broadway show-stopper. Yes. And he gets it. His name is in lights. Broadway, it's the most theater kid, theater kid you could ever theater kid. Right. His name, Squidward, is in lights, flashing lights behind him. He even gets to say, look at me now, mama. Like, in the, in the middle of it. And you... And when you tie that all together with the lyrics, um, I'm not a failure. I don't not have talent. Right. And um, what what are some of the other lyrics that, that like, if you really listen to what he's saying, you're like, yeah, like, um, it's not the case that no one cares. Um, when others see me, they don't see a nobody that isn't there. Oh. Like, and, <laughs> and and then you realize, like, we are on Broadway. Right. The meta element. This is what you described. The meta element comes into it. Like, yes. We, yes. Yeah, this is where it becomes meta. We are on Broadway right now. Squidward made it. 
Like, forget everything else. Forget the forget everything you've seen before this. Forget everything that will come after this. Forget about the musical and the volcano. The Squidward that you have been watching for the last 20 years made it to Broadway. Right. And you got to witness it. Like, you we're witnessing it. We're witnessing it happening. And it's true. It's... It, he, he is not a nobody that isn't there. <laughs> yeah. I, He's not a failure. I, I, he makes he it. it. He, yeah. like, did it. And who cares how, in what convoluted way he arrived here, he arrived. Yeah. One of my favorite... One of my favorite little movies is called Waiting for Guffman. It's about this, like, small-town community who are convinced beyond reason that a, like, Broadway sort of, like, critic is going to come to their town and see their little stage, like, musical show. Mm. So they blow the budget trying to make it the most amazing thing they can. And you, like, follow the lives of all these people who, you know, in the end are content, mostly content to go back to their regular old lives, but, like, clearly hold in their heart this little moment of creativity, this one moment where they could finally just have the breathing room to, like, create and perform and express themselves. And that's, like, the kind of stuff that makes you realize, like, Squidward is a grumpus, but, like, Mm -hmm. he is incredibly relatable. Deep down, we all want to show what we can do. All of us deep down, especially in our generation, have an aching sense of creativity we want to get out, and we want to show the world that we're special. And, like, to have this moment where Squidward just gets to do it. Like, uninterrupted, no jokes. Yes. He just gets to be there. Yeah. Like, they, they literally have a joke at the beginning of the song where they say, you're not delirious with despair. And then after that, the cynicism for just any cynicism, any, like, jabbing, any poking fun, earnest or otherwise, just cuts off, and we get to see it. I think, like, it's one of the reasons, and, like, maybe we'll talk about this episode depending on our Patreon's choice episode. Like, it's one of the reasons why the Bubble Bowl episode works. For one, yeah. Squidward isn't kind of an antagonist to SpongeBob. He it has an antagonist above him who's like, you're never going to make it. And he does make it. This is, like, that energy, but taken to its most logical extreme. Having this moment where all of the music stops and we just hear all of the tapping on double time because he has four legs. And it's just building and building and building. He twirls back, grabs two people's arms, and And a big fucking neon sign, Squidward. And you're like, yeah, he is a star. The conductor hands him... A top hat for that, like, yes. last, like, cherry on top. I think it really struck me when I first saw this. I kind of had, the, like, it's it's all, like, woke up in my brain all at once because it, before, like, the, it really gets going, like, in the beginning when he's going through, talking to himself, like, he he has a point where he motions out into the audience to say, like, I'm not not all alone, like... You're all yeah. watching me. Like, like that. that is kind of where, like, the veil comes off and where he, like, ties in the entire room and everybody in the room with you. Yeah. And, you know, you want to know why it made me cry this time? It makes me cry and every time. Is... And, and it's like, we have to mention that, like, there's, there's a couple parts in this musical that always, like, choke me up. And for whatever mm-hmm. damn reason, this I'm not a loser bit makes me cry every time i absolutely break down right because again we all just want that one little moment where we get to say look at us now yeah like you all were wrong i'm right fucking amazing and the part because we you know we've had to go back and watch a lot of episodes for this and i've been holding this card since episode one the first week of july 
So the opening episode, we don't see Squidward right away. It's SpongeBob and Patrick to start. And as SpongeBob approaches the Krusty Krab, we see our, like, nominal antagonist, like, sort of the spoil sport of the show for the first time, Squidward Q-Tentacles. <laughs> and what is he doing while he's at work? The first time we ever see this Ugh. character, he is cleaning graffiti off of yeah. a window at the Krusty Krab. And you know what that graffiti is, Miss Barkley. Was it like Squidward is a loser or something? Or like, or it, or is it was a, a picture caricature of, <laughs> of Squidward with the word loser, loser. under it. And Ugh. for like five minutes, eight <laughs> times a week, Squidward gets to put on his tap shoes, look out at the audience, and say, Not today. I am not a loser. Not today. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck. It just gets me to my core because if he can, like, it's really like, this is the Squidward we all know and love. And if, like, you have to have a moment where you're like, if he can do it. Anyone can do it. Like, I can do it. You can do it. Like, this is the part where you have to just, like, if you're not bought in by now, if you haven't bought in, like, get your wallet out. SpongeBob just isn't for you. Yeah, then then SpongeBob's not for you. Like, thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. But buy in to yourself (laughs) right because because squidward made it all the way he made it all the way (laughs) literally the biggest possible stage he could be on absolutely oh all right i know one second (laughs) okay fuck and then and like what's crazy is after that we have this incredible moment of athleticism from um uh ethan before we get into like the ending of the so they solve the volcano thing. Uh, Sandy creates a bubble thing. And mm-hmm. for me, and I'll get into why the fact that it's bubbles kind of gets me. Um, mm. And they realize the town is ripping itself apart. Because Squidward oh, yeah. has told everyone, oh, the band's not here. We're not going to be able Never to yeah. raise the money to get out of town. And they all just start beating the ever-loving shit out of each other. <laughs> Old is... Man Jenkins gets crushed by a giant bouncy ball. Right. <laughs> I forgot to mention Which that. Which is, That's like, they insane. Like, they just flatten him. It's so weird. Yeah, they have a flat cutout. And again, it's like, well, if you don't understand this is Spongebob at this point, then again, you just probably didn't get Spongebob. But one of the things I love about the stage version is they have these Rube Goldberg machines, because of course Spongebob has Rube Goldberg machines, where you watch the balls that get thrown onto the stage, like, go through, like, seven whirly-durlies and, like, (laughs) uh, hit a zippy-zappy and then Mm -hmm. get kicked... Like, the final gear is a giant bicycle, orange bicycle that whips around and flicks the ball on stage. It's mm. actually really cool, um, but horribly impractical for any traveling version of the show or right. any smaller-scale yeah. version. You literally had to build that into the theater. You can't do it, yeah. Um, but, yeah, SpongeBob comes down, and, again, this is, like, everything the show has built up to, inexplicably built up to this moment of SpongeBob just being, like, yeah, you know what? Maybe our device isn't going to work and we're all doomed, but we're all here together. And, like, if we don't have each other, then we don't have anything. And then right. he starts singing Best Day Ever from the show, written, co-written by Tom Kenny himself. Mm-hmm. And you just... Ugh. Like, the fact that they bring it all back to the show at the end right. there, mm-hmm. like, really, really gets me. As he's just, like... Dancing, like, he, Spongebob literally just goes around and does, like, a little dance with all of, like, the characters. Mm-hmm. And we get this moment where it's, like, the final minute before the apocalypse happens. And instead of an explosion, 
bubbles fall down from the ceiling and right. just fill the audience with bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so fucking pure about that because yeah. it's like one of the first episodes of SpongeBob is just this silly little bit where Patrick and SpongeBob are making balloon animals out of right. bubbles. And it's like, that is the essence of SpongeBob. Just like the most innocuous little thing being an avenue for the most joy and creativity you could possibly have. Right. And then SpongeBob points, as he's singing, points to Squidward, who of course dives right into it and kicks right. off the final chorus of Best Day Ever. And you're just like... <laughs> yeah. We're all in. Yeah. And then, um, oh, man... Uh, at I this know. point, it's just pure emotion. At this it, point, it the is. entire show is just pure, raw emotion. <laughs> I know. Where you're like, okay, I'm completely bought in. And it's I'm amazing. I'm loving every little like, bit. Think of everything we've talked about on this show, like Turning Red and other things that have like moved us for one reason or another. Like This is the thing that's like pulling all of this out of us. Yeah, this is where I'm like, I need to stop and breathe, because if I don't breathe, yeah. I'm going to start crying Fall again, over. or pass out, or yeah. throw up, or... Right, all like, the above, yeah. And then, yeah, we go into, they're like, yeah, let's put on the show anyway, and it just becomes this cacophony of everyone playing instruments together, and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the exact kind of energy this arts and crafts project like needed Like Whoville, yeah. Yeah, it's like this Whoville, like everyone like playing their own little instruments, mm-hmm. Sandy has a guitar, Patrick has like some cymbals... Mm. fucking patchy the pirate blows a hole in the roof and it's like finally (laughs) i get to watch the show oh god and then we get into the spongebob theme and it's like we've earned it at that point it's like we convinced you that we could put spongebob on stage so now we just get to have a little rock concert at the end exactly (sighs) should we talk about should i do yeah if we made it should i talk a little bit about like um the or do you have any thoughts before I go into more of, like, its legacy in terms of success? No, but we're at a minute and 47 seconds. I can get this done quick. Okay. So it did get nom- It got nominated for 12 Tonys. Um, it won the... So the Drama Desk is interesting because, like, its timeline is different from the Oscars. So the Drama Desk, which is the other big, like, theater award... Like, a show can be nominated for the Drama Desk one year and get nominated for the Tonys another year. Oh. It won Best Musical for the Tony Awards, or Outstanding Musical, in 2018, the year before it came to Broadway. Um, I believe, what was its competition that year? It was um, it was Desperate Measures, Mean Girls, Old Stock, or Refugee Story, and K-Pop, which finally came to Broadway last year and only did 17 performances Uh that thing, we need to talk about that off-camera. That was a bananas oh. outcome for that show. Uh, <laughs> I can't get... We do not have time to get into the messy uh, outcome of K-pop the musical. Um, oh, God. But anywho. So, it was nominated for... It was nominated for 12 Tonys. It only ended up winning one. It won Best Either Scenic or Costume. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. But uh, twenty. the Tony Awards for that year were... Frozen, Mean Girls, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Musical, and The Band's Visit, which ended up winning. Um, and I'm going to be honest, so much of uh, so much of this Tony's very much feels like a... It felt like they were trying to make a political statement about, like, we don't like adaptations. We're annoyed that this many adaptations are even eligible for nomination this year. Grr, grr, grr. So Band's Visit ends up winning, which is hilarious because it was based off a of film. But it was, like, a small foreign film, so no one knew it was based off a film. Mm. Bane's Visit is about, like, I think it's, 
Is it an Israeli band getting stranded in Egypt, or is it vice versa? It's basically this band is traveling the Middle East and gets stranded um, in another country, and it's just about them, like, hanging out there. And I will say, to its credit, it doesn't try to do a Zootopia, like, maybe we can solve the complicated issues of Palestine and Israel by just talking. Um, but it's, like, whatever. No one remembers it. No, Like, out of all of these, the one that people remember is SpongeBob SquarePants the Musical, and I mm-hmm. actually think it is kind of an outrage that SpongeBob didn't get nominated, or didn't win. Mm. And most people kind of agree with that. Because it's not like this thing was, like, a fan hit, but critics didn't like it. Critics love this thing. People Mm -hmm. are like, critics were like, it's delightful, it's charming, it's one of the most inventive things on Broadway right now. And it kind of gets to, like, it frustrated me so much that, like, so many people outright dismiss this idea. Because when you stop and think about it, it makes 100% sense. Like, Mean Girls is kind of what people thought, like... Mean Girls is kind of what people thought Spongebob was going to be, where it's right. like an excuse to take a brand name and put some music on it. Right. Like, we have a lot of these nowadays, where it's like, why did you make a musical out of Heathers, this? Like, what yeah. screamed... Okay, I will say, Heathers is actually kind of people good, like because Heathers. it's very yeah. bleak. But yeah. it's, like, the music but it's isn't the strongest the part like... of that. Right. But yeah, it's like, it's good because it's bleak and dark and captures that unhinged energy of the movie. Right. But, like, yeah, it's like... It's... Like, it's like, there's no reason this needed to be a musical. You just decided that you wanted more money and Mm -hmm. musicals make more money than plays. Like, you take the plot of something and just add music to it. Whereas SpongeBob SquarePants is inherently musical. It's always been about, like, it has an iconic soundtrack. It has all of these, like, original songs that appear throughout the show. Like, of course you make it a musical. And... Mm -hmm. I think what I love about SpongeBob SquarePants is, like, it kind of is the best example of how to take a brand and make it work for Broadway. It's so funny because, like, there are kind of, like, two avenues for any adaptation on Broadway to go. It's either... And weirdly enough, both of them are embodied by Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. The original version of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was uh, Julie Taymor of Lion King fame trying to do this art house thing of, like, oh, I'm tying it in with Arachne. Arachne, the Greek myth, is actually the main villain, and she's, like, trying to mess with Spider-Man. And everyone's like, what is this? This is incoherent. We are spending so much money on this, and this is what you came up with? Mm-hmm. So when she gets, like, kicked off the show and they completely rewrite the book, they just make it like the Sam Raimi movies. It's like, just play the hits. He fights the Green Goblin at the end. Bada-bing, right. And it's like, well, that's fine, but it has no soul. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the perfect balance between those two elements. Because this isn't just a recreation of the show this is its own thing this is a creative like like arts and crafts version of what we've seen but at the same time it has everything you need to understand spongebob every plot beat every moment every element every emotion it's just kind of perfect it is yeah how do we wrap this up um by climbing a huge volcano yeah that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, the f- I also just have so many memories about this because, like, I think the first time we watched it together was, like, it was my birthday 2020, and I was just such in the dumps about everything. Oh, and yeah. And you were like, why don't we make a day out of it? Let's, like, live stream something together. Right. Yeah, and, we, did, we used to do a lot virtually back then. <laughs> yeah. But it is, like, it's kind of perfect that this became one of our big bonding things. Because, like, right. this is a show, like, because, like... This was a huge bonding the, thing for us. This and yeah. Marvel stuff is, like, the biggest things we've talked about privately, like, you know. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there's no one who I would 
be prouder to call my BFF than you, Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're my best friend, too. And until we're walking out of the theater and spending a little too much money on merch, but you don't regret it in the end because it's cool that you have a SpongeBob musical shirt, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. I'm trying to think of a silly little Broadway. What did we used to, didn't we used to do, didn't I have an idea a while ago that was like, we're best friends and this is our podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right, you ready? Yeah. One, two, three, go. We're We're best best friends friends and this is our podcast. This is the podcast. We're We're best best friends friends and this this is our podcast. podcast. (laughs) I'm not syncing this. I tried to sync the other thing last week and it drove me fucking insane. We can't. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) the disney desk is brought to you by carter and sydney follow us on twitter at disney desk for the latest updates about the show want more of the most magical podcast on earth the disney desk is now on patreon for exclusive weekly bonus content from us go to patreon.com slash disney desk and become a patron for as little as three dollars a month thank you